O'Brien and Ringers, thank you for gracing us with that uh, peaceful, hopeful, beautiful music. Good morning, friends, and welcome to our 8.30 service on this, the fourth Sunday after the Epiphany. Lent's coming in no time. Ash Wednesday's on Valentine's Day. How romantic. <laughs> It's good to be together in God's house. Welcome, welcome to those of you in the room, others joining us uh, online. Uh, some of you are visiting with us. Jessica will tell you in a minute uh, what we want you to do uh, if you're visiting and you're new to us. I wanted to mention uh, right off, we've got a lot of things going on this week, but tomorrow night at seven o'clock, we've got Kate Bowler here. If you haven't heard of Kate, she's like a big dog celebrity. <laughs> in the religion world, but, but also she's a friend, and we're glad that she's coming. Uh, we are uh, commending her new book, which came out a couple of days ago, as a congregational read. It's a daily devotional book. You can spot check, use it when you feel like uh, throughout the whole year, special uh, entries there for Lent. Have a beautiful, terrible day. We have these, uh, goodness gracious, gift, gift shop, gift shop, it's hard to say. <laughs> And uh, anyway, so you'll want to be attentive to that. And as I mentioned, I'm up front this morning. My name's James Howell, and I'm up front this morning with my friend and colleague, Reverend Jessica Dason. Good morning. It is so good to be with you all, especially if you are new or visiting us, have been a couple times. We are especially glad that you have joined us for worship. If you would take a moment, all of you, new or longtime attendee, sign the pads that are in the middle and pass them down the aisle. That helps us to know who's here and helps us to know how we can support you um, and be in ministry together. Friends, there are lots of opportunities to get plugged in through small groups, through service. I hope you'll take the time to look inside the bulletin or visit our website for those things. It is good to be together, so let us prepare our hearts for worship.
family of God, let us now join our voices together as we profess our faith through the Apostles' Creed. It can be found in your bulletin. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. we give thanks that this is a space where we can come as our true selves, where we know that we can confess before God and one another our sins and know that God is quick and eager to forgive. Please join me in the prayer of confession as found in your bulletin. Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, too hidden even to realize and too deep to undo. Forgive what we hesitate to name, what our hearts can no longer bear. Set us free from a past that we cannot change. Open us to a future in which we can be changed and grant us grace to grow in your likeness. Amen. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. The epistle reading is 1 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning with the first verse. Now concerning food offered to idols, I know that all of us possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if one loves God, one is known by him. Hence, as it is to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or in earth, as indeed there, may, there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, 
from our all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through him are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through being hitherto accustomed to idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not commend us to God, for we are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. Only take care lest this liberty of ours somehow becomes a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you, a man of knowledge, at a table in an idol's temple, might he not be encouraged? If his conscience is weak, if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols, and so by your knowledge this weak man is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ has died, thus sinning against your brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if a, if food is a cause of my brother's falling, I will never eat meat, lest I cause my brother to fall. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I think it's only natural to yearn for that which uh, used to be, to be nostalgic of our past and in many different forms. It could be our personal lives or various institutions that we long for, that we miss. Uh, I am as guilty as anybody about romanticizing what used to be, including for some of us at different times or another, romanticizing what it used to be, being nostalgic about the past church, how the church used to be, whether it be 10 years ago, a generation ago, um, in the midst of all that's going on, in the midst of what's been happening, the United Methodist Church, I've heard many a times over the years folks saying, with good intentions, if only we can be like the church, the original ancient Christian church used to be 2,000 plus years ago. Have you ever thought that way? I have. If you ever, if you ever find yourself being tempted to think uh, that if only the church was what it used to be from its inception 2,000 plus years ago, if you ever feel that way or if you ever tempted that way, read the Bible. Read Paul's letter to the Corinthians, Philippians, Galatians. Like, just pick any letter that Paul writes to any of these ancient Christian churches, and you'll soon realize that there, there was a lot of problems then, as we do have today. So I guess that's the bad news. Uh, the, we've had some really big problems throughout the life of the church over the last 2,000 years, through and on and off, throughout our life together. But the good news is, is the church is still here, and we're still here not because we're good enough to be here, but the church is still here because God calls us to be here, that God is still with us, that God leads us, the church. So that's the good news. On a side note, we, Myers Park United Methodist Church, we have problems too, but we also have like really good problems. I've said this before. Good problems are the problems that I want to have, although there's still problems. Part of the problems that we have is parking. Yeah, it doesn't affect maybe the 830 service as much, but we have so many people who wishes to be here in person worship that there's not enough parking spaces to accommodate all those who want to be right here. You might have written, uh, read this in our written material. Starting next Sunday, we're going to have shuttle service that's going to run again from 9 to 1230. So this doesn't affect the 830 service for the latter two services. There's two shuttles that's going to be going back and forth from Myers Park Traditional. So please make note of that. Okay. 
And if you're able to, try it out. It's a wonderful service. It drops you off right in the front at Parish Lobby, in the rain, in the snow, rain or shine, right? One of the many problems that the ancient church, church in Corinth, is having deals with food and idol. Uh, there are 613 Levitical laws. A lot of them addresses issues about food, what to eat, when to eat, how to prepare, where to prepare. It goes on and on. It's important uh, for those of us with modern sensibilities may trivialize and think this to be outdated, but in the ancient world, in the ancient Christian world even, what to eat, the laws, the rules, the boundaries around eating of food, so important. It signified them being people set apart by God. And it appears from this letter from Paul that there are certain people within the early Christian community who do not know of these laws, uh, let alone follow these dietary laws that have been so instrumental and important to the core of identity of God's people. And it's causing some serious issues and challenges. The disparity of knowledge of something so important can cause a lot of confusion and even conflict, especially in the life of the church. So one can ask, what's exactly the function and the role of knowledge in any community, especially in a community that worships God, the church. I've mentioned this before. Uh, when I went back to Duke Divinity School for a different degree, uh, Dr. Howe was one of my professors there, and he's mentioned that before. So he taught Old Testament. And one of the assignments that he gave to us was to distinguish uh, between knowledge and wisdom. He invited the class to discern the differences, if there's any to be had, between knowledge and wisdom. I thought, well, that's pretty easy. It was one of the hardest assignments that I've ever gotten. Okay? Knowledge, wisdom. And I quickly found myself that I often confuse knowledge as same thing as wisdom and vice versa. Now, to be sure, I don't know about you, in my life I've been fortunate to have plenty of people who possess both knowledge and wisdom. They've been uh, various guides in my life, mentors, people who've directed me at different points uh, throughout my life, including my parents. But it'll be of no surprise to you that I've also known plenty of people, plenty of people, including people who are really smart, really knowledgeable, really intelligent, who live very foolish lives. I've known plenty of people who are masters of their domain, captains of their industries, who live very silly lives. Right? You know people like that? I've been that person. That person may, maybe you. Imagine a loving mother for a thought exercise. A loving mother She's going to go away for whatever reason, for a couple of months, for an extended period of time, maybe up to a year. She has two children, old enough to be home by themselves, so she tells her daughter and her son, hey, I'm going to be gone for a while. Here are the different ways in which i like for you to be while I'm gone. Here are the instructions, yes. Here are some advices for you to, to have, right? Uh, what to eat, how to cut the grass, how to clean the house, how to take care of the dog, and most importantly, how to take care of each other, while I'm away, 
So some time passes away. The mother finally returns home. She's greeted at the door by her older child. The daughter is there. Hey, Mom, welcome home. We're so glad you're here. And just so you know, I remember verbatim everything that you told us uh, while you're away. So much so that I can tell you in both English and Hebrew of exactly what you said. But just so you know, the house is a mess. We haven't cut the grass. The dog disappeared some time ago, and your son's in the hospital. I haven't visited him, presumed to be alive, but welcome home. <laughs> what is the function of knowledge? Where does any of this, any of the knowledge, especially about our knowledge of God, lead us? Paul's letter to the church in Corinth speaks to how our words, our knowledge, and subsequently our actions, what we do and don't do, the type of effects that it has on the Christian community and its people, whether we know it or not, whether we like it or not. It seems that Paul has a special place in his heart for the weaker ones. He's very mindful of them. Paul warns us, warns the church of the type of knowledge that puffs up. How the type of knowledge that we may possess and how we exercise such knowledge can detract and diminish the weaker ones, the Christians in our midst. And so simply possessing knowledge of God is not enough. This knowledge of God, really knowledge of anything, must be accompanied by the ethics of love and sacrifice, love that builds up. The core of Christian freedom, it seems to me, is not rooted in just knowing more, as important as this is in our discipleship, but the core of Christian freedom lies in our willingness to love others as God loves us, the type of love that builds each other up, Martin Luther of the Reformation, not to be confused with Martin Luther King Jr. of the Civil Rights Movement, uh, he writes this uh, from his learning of Paul. Martin Luther writes, a Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. Christian freedom, freedom that comes as Christian disciples, is never far away from our willingness to be responsible for each other, to care for one another, to build each other up. And in that, we discover a particular type of freedom that we will not be able to discover otherwise. In verse 9 of our scripture lesson, we read these words, Only take care, lest this liberty of yours somehow become a stumbling block to, to who? To the weak. Once again, here it is again. How do we take care of the weak? How can we prevent ourselves from becoming a stumbling block for those who are seeking the gospel, who wishes to know Jesus, who desire to be disciples of Christ? I'm about to share the statistics, but I want to share this with you to know that I'm right here uh, with you in ways of how what I'm about to say plays out. So if I were to ask you, especially for those of you with parents, but it doesn't have to be parents, what is the number one indicator of the future discipleship of our loved ones? What will, what part, what aspect of our children's faith formation will give the best indication of the vitality and the health of their future Christian discipleship? 
what would you say? Uh, would it be uh, worship? That's important, and it is. Would it be the mission of the church, how we serve? That's certainly important. Would it be any of the wonderful programs that we have at Myers Park? Would it be the children's ministry, the youth ministry, the bell choir, the music ministry? All these things are very important, but the number one indicator of how our children will exercise their Christian discipleship when they're out of the house, when they become adults, is what they see and what they witness in their parents' Christian discipleship. I say this, yeah, we've got to be careful here, right? I say this to, to, to let you know, uh, I, me and my brother, we've lived this out. We've, we've, we've had wonderful parents as disciples of Christ. I've been a pastor for 18 years. My brother may stay, step inside the church once or twice a year. Yeah? So this is not an indictment or a judgment on anybody. It's only to emphasize the importance of our own discipleship, the type of love that we share that builds up others, including those, especially those who are, quote unquote, weak among us, those who are relatively new to the church, the gospel, the first time visitors. Uh, we hope that you know that Mars Park United Methodist Church, we seek to love that builds you up, build each other up. I don't know about you, I, I, I wanna get it right. I really do, and there are people like me, and, and a lot of that may be you. I want to get it right, because if I know more, I can get it right, and if I get it right, I feel that I may just may deserve a place at the proverbial table, whatever that table may represent. So I'm obsessed of knowing, to know more, to seek more. Nothing wrong with that, but thank goodness that God's understanding of space and place is far more expansive and gracious than that. Because there are plenty of people here, plenty of people who might be watching our service today, that for you, it's not about right or wrong, it's simply desiring to belong, to matter, to have a place and space to be, simply to be. At the center of it all, I feel Paul's heart in our passage today. I mean, Paul knows the temptation of knowledge that puffs up better than most people. Yeah? Throughout his life, he was obsessed with knowing not to build up, but to diminish and even destroy others. So is it any wonder that he has a special place in his heart for the weak? He is the one who was literally struck by the light of God. Uh, and to walk in the light is nothing less than to know the grace of God. And the grace of God is nothing less than to love one another as to build each other up. So Paul says, love like this, that is the very antidote for any temptation of knowledge that is of arrogance. Love each other and love God to build each other up. I think Jesus would say something like, come follow me, be with me, and be in the midst of the church, your faith, family, and you don't have to have it all figured out. Come be together, even if you don't know what's what, even if you don't know the A, B, and C's of all of this, there's a place for you with me. There's a place for you in our church there's room for you. 
Carol Harston is a, a friend of mine and a colleague in ministry. She also was in James's class in Old Testament. James, I don't know if you remember this, but when I got my doctoral degree back in uh, 2021, I got it in May. First Sunday, I believe it was in June of 2021. James recognized that, uh, so gracious to do that. And James said this. James said, Uyun was my best student. And I, I nodded, and I, I kind of, but I knew that wasn't true. Kara was the best of us. <laughs> I mean, I was all right, but Carol was. She was the one. She reminded recently of the book by Jane Nelson, Positive Discipline. And in that book, her primary thesis was that every child desires to belong that every child needs to know that they have a space in their family, and every child desires a, a sense of significance, that my presence in this family matters. And so she offered this prayer, and I wanted to share this with you. This is how she introduced this prayer. So, she writes, here's my prayer. Here's my prayer on this dreary Wednesday afternoon. God, whose very spirit came in the embodiment of Jesus to bestow freely divine belonging and significance upon all, draw close to all those waiting for the church's embrace so that they may know a force of love greater than any institution. May the pivotal day come just in time when God beckons those who wait out of the belly of the fish, out of the chains, out of the wilderness, the angels sing when God's people claim their freedom and live as such. Thanks be to God. Amen. Friends, would you bow your heads and pray with me? Almighty and gracious God, it was in wisdom that you created all things and called them good. You created so much beauty and wonder, not just so we could post photos on Facebook, but so that we might get a glimpse of your power, your tenderness, the beauty that is in your mind and heart, or for the wonders of the world, for the wonders of one another. We give you thanks and praise, Lord, in your mercy. We give you thanks for your goodness to us. We skate right past it, don't notice, or we think we've earned things for ourselves, or we just take for granted that's, that's just the status quo, that's just the way it is. But you were so good to us in so many unfathomable, wonderful ways, day in, day out, moment by moment. We give you thanks for your goodness and ask that you create in us ever more grateful hearts. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, we live in a broken world. You know, it breaks your heart. It breaks our hearts. Uh, the world's a mess. 
we're a mess. We ask that you forgive us for our waywardness, our silliness, our foolishness, our self-indulgence, our thinking we can, we can go it on our own. We can take care of everything. We can be you. We can't be you. We need your mercy. We, not just to say it's okay, but also to heal our hearts, to change our hearts, to begin gradually to make us into the holy people that you have created us to be in the, the world. Lord, we, we're staggered by all that we see on the news, whether it's Gaza, Ukraine, you name it, our own country. There's so much trouble. We ask that peace might somehow break out. We know that the world is still yours. We entrust it to you and ask, what are you asking of each one of us to be somehow, in some small way, part of the answer to that very prayer? Lord, in your mercy. We know that in such a broken world, you need a church. We need a church. We're grateful for the church, universal. It takes on so many forms on a day like this and every day. We're so grateful to be part of something that is so much larger than ourselves or larger than our church. We're so grateful to be part of this church. There are plenty of things that we get wrong, but there's so much to be grateful for. Lord, help us all to, always to be a church where people matter. Every person matters. And maybe especially the one who thinks, I maybe don't matter. I wonder if I matter. We think that you revealed to us the idea to call our capital campaign, Hope is Here. We want this to be a place of hope. This is a place of hope because it is your church, O oh Lord. Lord, in your mercy. We pray today for all those who are sick or hurting in any way, for those who are grieving, for those who battle uh, all kinds of mental illness issues, struggles in their marriages and in their lives. And we pray for your help. We pray for your healing. We pray that we might be the kind of church that people look to for help, for support, for love. And that alleviates some of the pain. Help us, O oh Lord, to be that church. Lord, in your mercy. And Lord, we ask that our prayers to you not just be, O oh Lord, hear our prayer, but that as we pray, we might learn how to be quiet and to say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. We know that you call us to something, to some things. Help us to be attentive. Help us to hear. Help us to be ready to respond. Help us to have some courage and some energy for serving you. Lord, in your mercy. Now we pray in the silence as we share with you the secrets, the dreams, the wounds of our hearts. Lord, in your mercy. 
We pray all of these things and anything else that you might find to be helpful for us and for your world. And we pray them in the name of Jesus Christ, our risen Lord and Savior, who taught his followers boldly to pray together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, as we come to receive our offering, know that we are grateful. Together, we are grateful for all that we give, for our generosity. to make so many wonderful things happening today. What's on my mind is our high schoolers are off at their retreat. That's a fabulous thing. But also, they are today using their third-grade Bibles that they got some number of years ago. Your offerings make such wonderful things happen. Let us be generous.
gracious God, we know that your eye indeed is on the sparrow and you watch over each one of us. Lord, all that we have is yours. It comes from you. It will eventually return to you. We give you thanks for this opportunity to take what you have entrusted to us and to cause it to matter through the ministry of this, your church. For these things, we give you thanks and praise. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. God calls you and me, God calls so many others to say, come, be together, be with me, and may it be so. May the love of this God, the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of this Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen. <laughs> 